I'm glad you brought up blame because I think there's a lot, a lot of the economy of the play has to do with blame. Hello, everyone, and welcome to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And we are back again this week. You thought you got rid of us, but we're still here. Um, I I hope you did not think that you got rid of us. I don't know what that would mean. Like, you deleted the app and it reappeared on your phone. I hope that's not what you thought. Don't do that. <laughs> you did not think you got rid of us. You expected us to be here, and we are here. It's right less on exciting time. that way, but it's it's more consistent. That's true, and consistency is key. Well, in that spirit, we are back again with another script. Uh, we are talking about Night Mother this week, which is a play by Marsha Norman. Uh, it was written in 1981. Uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 1983. It was uh, kind of developed away from Broadway. It was developed for the Circle Repertory Company and then produced for the first time at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Then uh, very quickly it made the transition over to Broadway in March 31st of 1983. Got four Tony nominations. I don't believe in my research that I saw that they won any of them, but still, both of the actresses in this play were nominated for a Tony. And one of them was uh, Kathy Bates. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. She originated The Daughter mm -hmm, on Broadway. She she wasn't the first actress, I don't think, but on Broadway she played The Daughter. Yeah, it would have been a fun fun show to see, certainly. It was also made into a film in 1986 and has, uh, you know, kind of had some circulation after that as well. But uh, a very famous script, uh, both kind of famous and infamous in some ways, and maybe we'll kind of get around to talking about that. Yeah, We're going to do our normal summary now, but before we say the summary, I think it's important to say here that, you know, this is a play that needs a content warning, probably. It is a play that is almost all about suicide. So if that's something that you feel like you should not consume, a play that is, you know, a lot about suicide, we'll put this in our warnings for the script too. It's It's a play about someone's decision to kill themselves. It's 90 minutes of someone's decision to or to not to end their life. So that's gonna that's gonna be something that some people should not will not want to consume. In a similar way, our discussion today is going to be pretty frank about that. It's going to be you know, we're going to hold the decision that Jesse makes in a non-judgmental, serious way, as I think you have to if you're going to approach the script fairly. So we're going to say things about suicide, about these decisions that do not really apply beyond this conversation or beyond this script. This is That's sort of what this script requires of you. So just please be aware that we're not necessarily voicing our opinions on the subject. We are discussing the literature, the decisions, the characters that are involved in this particular story by Marsha Norman. Yes, exactly. This play is based on two people uh, having a a uh, avid um, discussion based on the mer- uh, that that centers on the merits of one of the characters killing themselves and the other one is trying to save her. So we're going to be weighing those merits along with the script. And just as Jacob said, please do not hear that these are our beliefs. Um, if, you know, yes, just don't hear that they are that these are our beliefs or that we're, we're supporting these. However, we are going to uh, give the character and the in the script and the literature of fighting chance in our discussion. Right. So I think, I think, you know, the reviews and stuff that I read in preparation for this all talk about the fact that the play and the script and the playwright takes Jesse's decision to or not to in a non-judgmental way. So we're going to try to do that today in our conversation. And just just please be aware that this is a conversation about a script and not yes. about broader social issues or personal issues, etc. So exactly. in that vein, the, the summary, the script, the story is about two women, the It is a mother-daughter relationship. The mother is named Thelma. The daughter is named Jessie. But Thelma, the mother, is just referred to as Mama throughout the script. So I doubt we will be calling her Thelma for very much longer. Um, She goes by Mama. The play begins promptly in the world of the play at 8.15 p.m. 
That does not necessarily mean that's when you have to start, but clocks on the stage should display 8.15 p.m. and run accurately throughout the night. So you can kind of think about how fun as a props team it would be to yeah. have to figure out, well, if our play is starting at you know at 7.30 and we need to have the clock set for 7.45 so that when we open the doors at 7, by the time we hit <laughs> 7.30, the clocks say 8.15. You know, there's some uh-huh. interesting math involved in that. But what happens is that Jesse comes out. Jesse is a, a divorced woman. She, uh, Her father has died. Thelma's husband has died previously. And so now... Thelma and Jesse, Mama and Jesse, are living together in a small house out in the country, a very clean sort of classic American house. And Jesse comes out looking for her father's old service revolver and announces in sort of a casual way that she's going to kill herself later that evening. And what follows is Mama's desperate, uh, you know, varied, huge attempt to prevent her from doing that. And at the end of the night, I'll just say it now so that we all have the same starting jumping off point. At the end, Jesse does, we believe, decide to do that. That is how the play ends with a gunshot. It's not on stage. It's in an offstage room. But that is where it ends. She does decide to do it. So what happens over the course of the play is Mama's failed attempt to talk her out of killing herself. Yeah, and and let's kind of start right at the beginning of this play, and and we don't often talk about the uh, the uh, playwright's craft as much right at the beginning. So let's give it a little bit of taste of that right away. The play starts with a pretty lengthy description of both of the characters and of the set, um, a, a very long description of Jesse, um, and and just uh, how exactly um, she kind of holds herself. I think you, you get the idea that this is almost someone that, that Marsha Norman met almost, or maybe it's her or something, but this is, this is a very vibrant character in Marsha Norman's mind. Like she knows exactly what she's looking for. Uh, uh, a very long, yeah, two paragraph description of the character, but then also, uh, and, a, and a lot of, of the description, especially of Jesse is sort of a caution away from stereotyping or, exaggerating because when you write characters that are put in these intense situations and have to justify seemingly unjustifiable things, playwrights will often try to be really cautious in their actor notes and say, look, you can't do it like this or it's going to come off badly. You can't do it like this or it's going to come off badly. Um, a script that we talked about very early on, The Roommate, the the act the the playwright wrote some very specific instructions about how the race of the actors because she did not want it to appear as if this black woman from the inner city of New York was coming into this white woman from Iowa's home and corrupting her so it's things like that that playwrights like to caution about now lots of playwrights will let directors and casting teams do what they feel like they should for their productions and it's not to say that Marsha Norman wouldn't want you to cast a specific type of person but they do want you to be aware of some of the the pitfalls of playing this character. Mm-hmm. She also makes makes a moment, uh, takes a moment to really hone in on setting the relationship with the quality that she wants. And I think I think her writing does this as well. Um, she has written both of these characters. The playwright has written both of these characters really, really uh, familiarly accurate. Um, there's this this give and take this uh, the way family <laughs> hurts each other so flippantly, but uh, keeps rolling and the love still continues despite of that is very evident in here. And she she talks about that in the description. Uh, she says there's a shorthand to the talk and sense of routine comfort in the way they relate to each other physically. Naturally, there are also routine aggravations. Um, so it's, it's it's she's she's put that in the description as well as in the writing, that there's this give and take between these two that has a lot of history behind it. I think also a sort of a note that is given about Thelma that I think could be thrown away, especially if you're just reading the play, is that Mama is in her late 50s, early 60s. I think if you're just reading the play, as it happened to me, reading the play for this podcast was my first experience with the script. I'd not come across it before. So this is my first dive in. And on my first dive in, I, I wanted to get the scent. I think that I imagined the character of Mama as a fairly, fairly old person 
who really is not very physically active, cannot really take care of herself. And then when I went back to do my second read through, I did the character descriptions again. I said, oh, she's only in her late 50s, early 60s. She's a lot more active and just especially physically, but mentally as well. So the preparations that Jesse gives to to make sure that mama can take care of herself after she's gone, some of them seem maybe a little uh, disconnected from the age at which mama's aimed to be. And actually, that comes up in the script a little bit, that maybe mama doesn't need as much help taking care of herself as Jesse gives her. Yeah, that's part of the tension, right? Of this, of this, uh, you know, they've they've fallen into a rhythm. That's kind of what we find out very, very in the first half of the play is that these two have fallen into a rhythm of being that has gone on for some time. And I, th- I think probably what has happened is slowly and slowly, whether out of a desire to let uh, Jesse take care of something or out of just uh, at, at one point, I think the description says uh, um, when it serves her purpose to let someone help her, Thelma lets her someone help her. Um, so it's I, I, whether it's out of that desire or the more alt- altruistic uh, to allow Jesse to take and be able to take care of someone. There has been a an erosion of Thelma's uh, ability to be independently to, in, to independently take care of herself, which becomes a tension through a good chunk of the play. Is is the stakes that are both thrown in Jesse's face if she were to kill herself would be that Thelma would be alone and unable to take care of herself. Right. And the other descriptions that the playwright gives at the beginning are some important things about structure, that there's not any intermission. They describe the clocks, which I've talked about before. But the playwright also says that the t- that about the setting, the time is the present. And you remember that this was written in the early 1980s. So in the early 1980s, Marsha Norman wrote a play that takes place in, quote unquote, the present. And that's one of the difficulties I have with playwrights writing plays where the time setting is the present. Because Mm -hmm. some of this play has aged out. A a recent Broadway production tried to set the play in in whenever it was, the early 2010s probably. And some of it really transferred over. Like, you know, all you need is a cordless phone instead of the wall receiver and stuff like that. But some of the play, it just doesn't quite flip over. Like, for example, look, Jesse's depressed, right? I mean, she's she's suffering from long-term chronic depression. In the 1980s, that was not as treatable as now. Surely, if you're setting the play now, even in sort of out in the country, you could get Prozac, right? I mean, you could get some medicine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So some of that, you know, the mental health elements of the play just have not quite made the jump. And so uh, to say that the play is set in the present, I think if I'm directing, I'm probably setting the play back in 1980-something rather than 2018. Maybe not. I don't know. But that's sort of what I think is that, you know, when playwrights write the present, I'm always sort of like, couldn't you just write, like, your time? <laughs> like, this is, the, this is the play from the 1980s. It's got 1980s attitudes. It's about smoking, for example. It's got yeah. 1980s attitudes about mental health. So it doesn't all transfer over. That's true. There's there's a good chunk of it, like the the kind of centralizing life around the TV. There's a couple references to to uh, the smoking is an excellent example. Like uh, it is interesting to read a play that was written in in the time when smoking indoors, for instance, was all over the place and just completely common. And and, and you where know, you... like Jesse talks about like one of the reasons her husband left her is that he didn't like the fact that she was smoking, and Mama can't understand that. She's right. like, why would he be so stupid? And yeah. it's like nowadays the attitudes towards smoking are way different. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that is an interesting note. Just like the 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 uh, the desire to be timeless in a script is is uh, d- defined by how fast the world changes, and the best efforts can't even overcome it necessarily. The o- the only the other uh, stage direction before we jump into the real meat of this play that I want to draw attention to is she talks about the door in the stage directions. And and it's and it's one of those lines I don't think I've ever read a stage direction so focused on a door before or any one piece like she says that she even goes so far as to say whoever is designing and building this place should spend a lot of time designing and building this door like you should it is the defining feature of the set and, and should fade and in and out of focus. And what door is it, Jackson? 
Well, it's the bedroom door. Jesse's it's bedroom the, door. Yeah, Jesse's bedroom door. So it's 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 the door that they're fighting over the whole place. So absolutely, it should have focus. But the the direction, especially to the set designer, you should spend uh, most of your time wondering about how to design <laughs> it's this like, door. Like, hey, this is not just a hallway door. <laughs> yeah, <You> dummy, <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> There's the, it's very important, important door. <laughs> and it is an important door because Jesse right away and actually not quite right away and I may start there in a minute but almost right away when she's revealed that she's going to kill herself says look what I'm going to do is later tonight I'm going to go into the bedroom and lock the door and shoot myself. And mm-hmm. so the the concept that as this time goes by as this real life naturalistic time progresses between these two women that any moment now Jesse might walk into that door shut it, log it, and kill herself. Yeah. Very early on, there's this juxtaposition of her tone when dealing with this stuff. Like, we find out that she wants, she's going to kill herself tonight in the first probably 10 pages of this script. She just says it outright. And she's very blasé, very... not Flippant is the wrong word, because she has things that she wants to uh, get yeah, done to. Yeah, she's tonight. very serious about it. Not, I agree. Yeah. Flippant's not right, but... Maybe casual is right or mm-hmm. unconcerned. Predetermined. It, right. Or she she's not Jesse is not concerned. She is not worried about it. She's not she does not seem to be scared of it. She and she says she's been thinking about it on and off for ten years. You know, classic sign of chronic depression. She's been thinking about it for 10 years. But since Christmas, whenever that was, we don't quite know what happened at Christmas. But since Christmas, she's been thinking about it constantly. And so she's prepared. She's got all these things in place. She's got all these gifts ready. So she's planned this and known about it for a while. So on the night of, she's the the the, the shock of what am I going to do to myself later has worn off for her and hits mama right on. So part of what we're seeing is a difference between someone who knows something is going to happen for a long time and someone who's genuinely surprised by it. Yeah, which is, I mean, she talks about that later on. That A lot of the struggle, especially later on, is, is with, why did you tell me? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, mama asks, pretty much just comes down to the end and says, why, why did you even tell me? And the, the struggle becomes, would you have rather known? Like, would you, would you have wanted to, would you have wanted to not known why I did it? And I don't know that we have a solid answer from Thelma by the end of it, what, whether that, what that is, because well, she tries hard. I mean, she says, so, so the kind of the climactic exchange, or at least the first maybe of two climactic exchanges at that point in the script is Jesse saying she's she, Jesse's been bothered by Mama. She's at the point in the night where she's just throwing anything she can at her, and Jesse finally says, "Look, you, why don't you just leave me alone about it? I shouldn't have told you." And and Mama says, "Yes, you're right. You shouldn't have told me." But then <laughs> mm-hmm. that emotional outburst kind of fizzles, and she says, "No, no, I really would want to know." So it's hard to know what's the real what's the real Mama. Is it is it the exp- the outburst of yes you shouldn't have told me why would you yeah. tell me that is that right. at the core or is that just an expression of outrage and then when she kind of crumbles into herself and says no I really do want to know is that the real core or is it it's probably a dichotomy of both Mm-hmm. we certainly go on the roller coaster with this right like we have we we see Mama go through all of these stages like initially she's she thinks it's she thinks it's another kind of weird tick of Jesse's. She says, okay, it's time for you to take another pill um, because she just she just kind of subdues it. But pretty quickly she realizes that this is pretty serious. And um, it's it's interesting to watch the two of them go back and forth because this play has been described as a very, very dark but also comic play. And there's a lot of this back and forth between them that they wind up talking about everyday things in in between this argument for Jesse's life, because Jesse's one of the reasons why she tells Mama, and one of the reasons why one of the things that she's doing during the course of this conversation is trying to leave everything ready 
by explaining lots of the things that she's been doing to mama so she understands like how the how the grocery deliveries work, how the washing machine works, how to make sure the pans stay clean, how to order her pills. So there's this sort of this sort of ordering of the everyday things that Thelma that mama will need to do afterwards that that Jesse's trying to teach her. And then as we get to the back half of the play and the moment of decision comes closer, Jesse starts to show her kind of the things uniquely related to the death that she wants to happen, how she wants the funeral to happen, the gifts that she wants people to give, what she wants mama to tell people. So she's got this kind of schedule, the playwright calls it. She's got a schedule for the evening of things she wants to get done. One of them being to give mama a manicure. One of them being to sit and chat about things to 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 get Mama to answer some questions that Jesse's had about her life. Yeah, and and one by one, either these items are ticked off the list or just don't happen. Like the manicure, for instance, gets overturned eventually. Like it doesn't go the way she wanted it to go there. But but again, the schedule and and it's interesting that the playwright chooses schedule. Uh, for that, um, the schedule must be met. Eventually, Jesse, uh, um, or I'm sorry, Thelma tries to get Jesse to go back and actually give her the manicure to try to kind of delay for more time almost. And Jesse says, no, no, yeah, we, we, we can't do that anymore because I want my brother and his wife to be awake still when you call her him about this. And, and it's done. Like she's, she's ticking along on this, on this timetable without stopping. <laughs> it's, um, which you 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 kind of go back and you wonder how many points along the way has she, she so we have this event at christmas that we don't know what happened really but then like or if anything happened i mean she references that since christmas she's been feeling some way and they kind of share a knowledge of what might have happened at christmas but i i wonder if maybe one of the if what happened is just that nothing happened that it wasn't special mm. in any way. That maybe, you know, one of the characteristics of Jesse's life that she is unhappy with and feels the need to leave it over is this feeling that every day is the same. She describes how, you know, she's on this bus and it doesn't matter if she gets off now or 50 years from now, she's going to be in the same place. And so why not get off whenever she wants rather than ride it out to the end if it's all going to be the same? And so. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what Marcia Norman wants out of what happened at Christmas, but part of me wonders if, if the sad reality is that nothing happened in hmm. the, sort of the most sad way. Nothing. Sure. Yeah, there is there is just the kind of facial expression between them. They don't actually say anything. Um, but the, the stage direction for, I believe it's for Jesse, says she knows that Mama knows what happens what happened at Christmas. And so so it's basically for the audience watching, it's just a facial expression. But I think you're right that, you know, it's it's much more systemic than that. And it goes back a long way. She even says that really for the last 10 years, she's been thinking about this. Uh, Jesse has. But it goes back even further. Like there's a lot. Let's let's talk about some of the things that are that are the real life, um, the complicating actions of Jesse's life. Right. That that led to this. She so her father died quite when she was quite young. Um, do, do we have the father's name? I think I've just I think it was just Papa that I ever saw. I'm not sure. Off the top of my head, I don't know it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I, I also I'm not also sure that it that he that she was very young. Um, I think mm. I think he may have just I don't uh, not recently that he died. But I don't, I don't know that I have any indication from the script that she was a kid when it happened. Hmm. Um, I think that you know he lived out his life, and then it, I don't know, it came to an end in middle age, I guess. So I mean, he sure. was young. I mean, she Thelma's only fifties, sixties. So if he has died, I imagine probably at least five or ten years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that he was in his forties. So that is pretty young for him. But I don't know that she was a kid. Which, yeah. because one of the things she talks about is that Thelma and Jesse's father, we'll call him Papa, did not love each other. That is revealed throughout the course of the play that their their marriage was a loveless one. And so Jesse says, you know, when he died, I kind of had hopes that you might kind of grow into your own person, develop mm-hmm. things that you love, change somehow. 
because you're out maybe sort of out from this loveless marriage into you being able to be yourself. And that's a pretty adult attitude to have about your father's death. That's true. And this maybe brings up one of my own my own kind of shortcomings in reading the play. I found it very hard to remember that she was a 30 to 40 year old adult throughout the play. I think in my mind, this narrative, um, I'm used to this narrative with a younger child, not child, uh, a younger daughter to the to the mother. Um, and I think that occasionally was um, jarring is maybe close to the right word for me to realize all of a sudden, wait a minute, this is happening between a 50 to 60 year old mother and a 40, you know, thir- late 30s to 40 year old daughter. I actually agree. Scene. It does feel like at least my inclination as a male reading the script is to want to make the mother seem a lot older than she is and make the daughter seem a lot younger than she is. And sure. there is, you know, there's this long unfortunate tradition in theater history of there not being a lot of parts for middle-aged women. So mm-hmm. for this to be really, you know, 30s, 40s, that's young middle age. 50s, 60s is old middle age. This is a play about two middle-aged women on either end of the spectrum, perhaps. And so, you know, my own inclination to want to age one and, uh, I don't know, young, is that really a verb? To make the other one more young, um, maybe it comes from this sexist tradition of there just not being a lot of middle-aged women on stage, which is a darn shame because plays like this are pretty electric when you get these really beautifully written characters. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's cycle back now off of that rabbit trail I took us on. So why why what what what's what's wrong in Jesse's life that she describes? We've been talking about the complicating actions of her life in the past. Yeah. And eventually I want that to lead us to what actually happens in the script <laughs> because I'm not sure what the present actions are. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the past actions that are revealed over the course of the play. A lot of this play is talking about what's happened in the past and sort of discussing it in fresh ways. So um we know that Jesse loved her father maybe more than she loved her mother. At the very least, we know that the father loved Jesse more than he loved her mother. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was a source of tension throughout their lives that only now gets revealed and that he died a while ago. So sort of sad for everybody. Um, But that that's one of the things that has sort of established where they are in this moment. What else, Jackson? Well, she has a a significant physical, uh, barrier for her which is that she has i think it's epilepsy right uh she has she has frequent seizures her mama calls them fits and there's a little bit of uh contention around those those terminologies but she has times where she'll just she'll fall down she'll have a seizure and she'll black out for a time and then she describes the waking up in a bed not knowing how long she's blacked out for how what you know what chunk of her life is lost as a result of that she seems to think though that this is happen for a kind of a more finite amount of time since adulthood uh, is is the story that she believes she she there's a story of her falling off a horse um, with with her husband who she has since been separated from and um, she thinks that that is the the moment when the epilepsy started happening is when she fell off and, a horse. you know she thinks that because everybody told her that exactly and what is revealed in the play through these sort of truth-telling sessions is that mama has been keeping from her that she's had seizures her whole life that since she was a child she's had seizures and she's just sort of said oh you just fell down honey no don't worry about it nobody's told her that she has epilepsy until she reaches adulthood and she's riding this horse and falls off and everybody tells her oh well you're falling off maybe you hit your head or something this has caused your seizures now when in reality it's it's been a lifelong struggle that may have been inherited because what does mama tell her about her father well her mama thinks that her father had epilepsy as well just a less violent form of it um she talks about uh she doesn't have very many scientific terms for it but she talks about having heard of a form of epilepsy that is basically just short lapses of time and how he would often go out and just sit on the porch not talk stare off and and uh, kind of pop in and pop out, I think she describes it as. And and that being a, a big part of the struggle as well, both both with her relationship, uh, with Thelma's relationship with the father, but also then to have two in the family who have this and to have them love each other 
perceive them as loving each other the most and having them come in and out all the time. Uh, that, that was another kind of complication for the for the mother and Jesse's relationship. And unfortunately, Mama's justification for why she wouldn't have told Jesse is pretty weak. Her, her answer to, you know, well, why didn't you tell me that is, well, then I would have had to tell your father that I thought he had epilepsy too. Right. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> yes. You should have done that. <laughs> it might have helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we might not be where we are if you had done that. And... That is, I hate to bring us down a new rabbit trail, but I've just said this, which is there are some things that are revealed over the course of the play that may point to decisions Mama has made which have been ultimately disastrous for Jesse's life. And so mm-hmm. some of the blame, you know, not maybe the fair blame, but the the perceived blame falls to Mama for Jesse being where she is, which is about to kill herself. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up blame because I think there's a lot, a lot of the economy of the play has to do with blame and people's perception of it. Because I think Thelma perceives a lot of blame for what is happening. She, by the end of it, she flat out just kind of yells over and over, you know, what did I do? Tell me what I did. I did something to bring you here. You're certainly, it has to be something that I did. Um, And I think that is, that is a, a huge a huge part of this that is also really true to life. I think a lot of people in this scenario feel and wonder about that blame, but I don't, I don't think that Jesse is assigning too much blame in this play. What do you think about that? I don't do you know. think that I, she's... I think that there's this complicated balance because Jesse says over and over again, look, this isn't about you. It's not mm-hmm. about the fact that I don't like being here with you. It's not about the fact that you and I don't really get along when we live here. It's not about the fact that blah, blah, blah. It's not about you. It's about me and me feeling like my life isn't going to move forward from here. So why should I participate in it? And yet, I do think that kind of as they go through the motions of Jesse's life that led her to this point, she does lay some of those things that happened at Thelma's feet. And maybe... Jesse doesn't make the connection between, you know, the events of my life have led me here and mama, you may be responsible for some of those events in my life. And, you know, she may not make that connection, Mm -hmm. but that connection may exist in a subconscious way or it may just exist for mama, but it's there for the audience as well. Certainly. Yeah. There's absolutely a digging for information throughout this play. Very early on, uh, Jesse kind of sets the tone as you better start telling the truth now. Um, and, and Thelma begins to realize I need to start telling the truth now. And she really digs for those moments. She digs for those moments of truth and tries to figure it out. But I, the, the, I'm thinking of a specific monologue, which is, is I think a big core for Jesse is that she doesn't feel like she showed up for herself in life either. Like she describes waiting for, you know, kind of, kind of uh, tragically in the theatrical sense of the word, this whole play is vernacularly tragic, but in, in, in the dramatic sense of the word, she is kind of blind to the fact that she, she's been waiting for her own little, she takes a picture of herself, this picture of her as a baby and compares herself to it. You know, this, this rosy cheeked smiling baby that learns a new trick every day and she's she says that she's lost that at some point along the way that it never that it never came to fruition and i'm the person who is the like the consequences of your daughter yeah, i think or she what says that i'm line? what's left of your daughter or something what, yeah. like that mhm which is the line that has stuck out and stayed with me after reading the script anyway and maybe that's my own uh projecting onto it but i feel like that is a huge part of her own where she, why she's made this journey to this point is Beyond the satellite things, there's a lot of she hasn't lived what she wanted to live either. And, you know, maybe, like you said before, nothing has happened. Right. And and and, and both of those things, of course, are, are connected to long-term chronic depression. Right? Yeah. It's, it, you know, what people who are 
chronically depressed describe feeling sort of like a shell of themselves, not having the fullness of life, that they're some other person who lives a better version of them than them. And they also describe the feeling that everything, that nothing changes, that it's always sort of one gray blah, both of those things. So I don't know where medical care was in the 1980s when Marsha Norman wrote this script, but she right. wrote a character who has much of the identifying flags for chronic depression. And and lots of things in Jesse's life do suck. I mean, yeah, she makes some great more. points about the fact that her life sucks. The things we brought up are not all of them. A couple more of the more things are she learns in the course of this play that Cecil not only left her, her ex-husband, but also was cheating on her. She mm-hmm. knows long-term that her son is basically a criminal, a ne'er-do-well. She expects he's going to be locked up for a long time for armed robbery pretty soon. You know, he he's no good. Um, what else? Well, she knows that, uh, like, close friends of the family don't want to be around her. Um, Agnes is mentioned uh, pretty frequently as a friend of Thelma's and that she... She 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 describes it as that as Jesse having the death or something like that, and she doesn't want to catch death from her by being around her. And, and um, she, she also, can't hold a job because of her epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And that the epilepsy again, there's there's a a really um poignant description of how it feels to know that other people have experiences of you when you're not there. Um, that that she talks about and this knowledge that. Her brother, especially, she brings up Dawson and Loretta, that they have, you know, these these experiences of her that aren't that shouldn't be theirs. They shouldn't own this much of her story as 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 much of her story as they do. And that 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 is a a violation almost, you know, the the uh, these people who are her family aren't who she wants as her family. And so the sharing in that in those moments of weakness weighs on Jesse, I feel like a lot more than like in an ideal family relationship where everyone's helping each other out. I'm so glad you were the first person to say the word owns because this is one of the things that I really (laughs) wanted to talk about. These two characters have this concept of ownership of life, which is so interesting. In the moment that you're talking about, they're having an exchange about what family is, uh, you know, Mama is trying all these different tactics to try to convince Jesse that her life is worth living. And so she's trying to get Jesse to talk about, well, who is it that you don't like? We can just not talk to those people. Oh, your brother? Oh, your brother's wife? You know, all, all these family people? Don't worry about it. Family, Family's not a big deal. And Jesse says, well, no, the family is a big deal. It's a big deal because they shouldn't, there's these people, these random people that you were assigned <laughs> to who own parts of your life that should be yours. And she's talking in some way about memories and about experiences that they have of you that that should not be theirs to own. And of course, the 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 stark closing line of Mama after the suicide has happened and she's wailing outside of Jesse's door is, "I thought you were mine." Mm-hmm. And there, there's other times where those kinds of terminologies are used throughout the play of like, you know, that's mine, this is mine. Like w- when uh, Mama reveals that she hadn't been telling Jesse about her epilepsy throughout her life, Jesse says, well, you know, that was mine to have, not yours. It was mine right. to make decisions about, not yours. So there's this ownership of life which happens between them, which is an interesting vernacular and not the way that we usually use it. It also comes out in Thelma's... Uh, telling like kind of solutions that she tries to get her to have. Like she tells her that there are things out there for you to do and it's on you to go out there and take them or to, or to make them. Um, She says, you know, go out and, and get, you know, get flowers, make a garden, get a job, um, do these things, make friends and, and try to be out there in the world. And I, but Jessie is in this world where she blacks out out of no power of her own for a long time, <laughs> you know, a, a scary amount of time. And 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 the knowledge that other people experience that 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 argument loses its some of its credence, that that own argument that you own life loses some of its credence when when something beyond your power can shut you down, basically. Right. For I think you're absolutely right. Like these these two women live in a life philosophy, which is your life is yours to own. 
and the things that happen to you are rightfully yours and you have some control over them. So Jessie's life experiences, as she describes them, one of them being epilepsy, have painted a picture of a life which is not hers. She has almost no ownership over what happens to her next. You know, at one point, mom is trying to describe all the things that Jessie could do to make to change her life. And Jesse sort of one by one knocks him down. No, I can't do that. No, I can't get a job, Mom. Remember, I have epilepsy. Nothing will happen. No, I can't meet somebody else. No, I can't go get Cecil back. And so you you, you learn that part of Jesse's issue with her ongoing existence is that she has no ownership over what happens next. And she says several times, what I do have over ownership over is the decision to kill myself. Mm-hmm. That is mine. That is mine to make. It's not yours to make, Mama. And that comes up lots of times. Mama says, no, you can't do it. And Jesse just simply, the response almost every time is, yeah, I'm gonna. Right. It's mine to make. My life is mine to make decisions over. And then at the end, I've already said this, but you know, the suicide happens and Mama's response is, I thought you were mine. Mine. Yeah. And there's some, you know, it's, it's a heartbreaking scene, but- if you think about the layering of that line, it's kind of sinister. One of the things that has yeah. happened between these two women mm-hmm. is that Jesse has been forced to move back in with Mama, and Mama has some ownership now of Jesse's life. She's the one that takes care of her when she has her seizures. You know, all these different things. She sort of has Jesse take care of her in the different parts of her life. And so the end revelation is, well, I thought that, you know, your life was part of my life. One of Mama's big, one of the reasons why she's so distressed about what's going to happen to Jesse is she says over and over, what am I going to do when you're gone? You're my company. You're the person who takes care of me. You handle all these things. Mama sort of imagines that her life and Jesse's life have become so tightly interwoven, so tied together that they sort of are one and the same. So they each own a piece of the other person's life. And then in the end, when Jesse does something that Mama does not approve of and is so desperate to try to get her to stop, she has to have this crucial revelation that this other person was not mine. They had a life which was not mine to control, which I did not experience, and honestly, which I did not understand. Understand. Hmm. Yeah, and and that I mean, that, kind of tragically, that's Thelma's thing from along from her the whole time that she hasn't understood really. Both she hasn't understood and she hasn't been understood. Like she talks about her relationship with the father as well. Of this kind of, he wanted a country wife, or he said basically he said that he wanted a quote unquote country wife, and then. But actually wanted more is what it felt like, that she was supposed to somehow change and surprise him. So she didn't feel known there either. She didn't have a great relationship with Jesse growing up. Um, and 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 even now in this in this moment, you're absolutely right. The rug is kind of ripped out under from under her of this this relationship that she thought she had with her daughter, with her living there, that is completely turned on its head and, and argued so convincingly against by Jesse. That's the thing about this is that the, you know, this argument is is one that we have heard before. Maybe we've heard this uh, in in real life or in plays. This argument that this is this is this is the thing that I can do to have control again. The difference in this play and the journey that we are, you know, in <laughs> butts in the seats in the theater, sitting there listening to, is Jesse arguing it really well every time. Thelma brings up, you know, valid points as to why she should stay valid or, you know, kind of familiar, familial uh, guilt points um, about it. Jesse is able to take them down each time. And right. it's Jesse's argument. And this is this is sort of where we get to the part of the play that we tried to warn you about at the beginning. This yep. is not a reflection of our personal opinions outside of this podcast. But in the story, Jesse's argument is almost airtight. I mean, at least in terms of the kinds of arguments that Mama could make back. And notably, Jesse is very, very stern about the fact that she does not want anyone else here that night. If anybody Mm -hmm. else tries to come, she's going to just walk in and do it before they can get here. So I I sort of get the sense that Jesse, knowing what she knows about Mama, knows that she probably has the chops to go toe-to-toe with Mama on this issue. And she might not with other people. But in this discussion, Mm -hmm. she bats away almost every argument Mama can give her. This play is a almost it's like a study in playwriting because it is a play about about goals and tactics. 
two characters, the stakes are incredibly high, the two characters are at cross purposes, and their tactics to to get what they want out of the other person are what occupy the whole of the play. The only Mm -hmm. plot is tactic. The only plot is, what can I do to get what I want from you next? And it's very heavily on Thelma as the person trying all the tactics and switching and kind of failing at each at each crossing. I don't think that Jesse ever gets talked down in any way. Like well, that, I want to ask you about that because look, look, if I just described you a, a play, which is mostly a debate, let me just try to say this play in the most general terms. This is sure. a play with two characters. It's mostly a debate. One character is almost never persuaded by the other character. That is the most boring play description <laughs> yeah. of all time. So why is this play not boring? Why is it that Jesse, who seems to be never moved, never swayed, never even considers a different point of view than her own, or does she? That's sort of my question. If mm-hmm. if it's true that she's never swayed, why does the play actually work? That shouldn't work in terms right. of playwriting theory. And if it's if that's not the case, then maybe are there places where she is kind of swayed? Is this an active debate, or is this just one person lecturing? I think I think uh, the the answer is kind of twofold, or at least I'm going to give you a twofold answer. So here we go. Um, it has to do with the stakes, which we've already talked about, and the given circumstances, which we've already talked about. The stakes are crazy high in this play, right? Like. We don't want it. No one wants to see a you know someone kill themselves on stage. No one wants to. No one wants to be a part of that narrative, really. Um, but we are in this play. We are. We're sitting through it and watching, and we're 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 all trying and wanting Thelma to succeed in some way. So that stakes are incredibly high that way. Given circumstances, I think is what keeps this play from not from being you know not boring. Um, and 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 still brings it across as a great script because because Jesse has all of these situational things that happen to her with epilepsy with her family with her family history and because those are slowly sussed out over the course of probably an hour and a half to an hour and 40 production um we discover more and more of the reasons why she doesn't move ever. I don't think, I don't, I never got the impression that she ever lessened in her resolve to go through with this deed. There are moments when I think the audience is, is lulled into thinking that she might. Um, there's a couple of situations where Thelma gets on a good kind of track of talking about regular ordinary things. And Jesse talks back with her about them. And she almost gets Jesse to start talking about the future, but Jesse stops. And, does not frame any of her thoughts in her being in the future. So I think I think it's that slow sussing out and drawing out of the details and the reasons why Jesse is unmovable on her position that makes this play um, both terrible, but both really good and terrible because we we uh, and, see and her terrible points as in valid. Like the, the emotional sense, not in the sense that the script is bad. Right, right. The, like, as in the, the sentence, great and terrible, um, that, that kind of awe feeling of, of and honestly, catharsis. I think, I think if any play has catharsis in our, in our modern vernacular, pity and fear probably resides a lot in this play. Yeah, I, 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 think, I, I think that you're right, that it does not appear to me that there is any moment in the script where Jesse is even kind of swayed by mama's arguments about why she shouldn't do it. And it, it has baffled me why that that stance that, that look, I'm not going to be... So, so the play has two levels, right? There's the present level of the play, which is mama trying to convince Jesse not to kill herself. And then there's the past level of the play, which is that things are revealed about what happened in the past, which neither character knew. Both of those things, as they sort of stand, should not work, right? It should not work that one character tries to convince another character of something and the other character never changes their mind or has any indication that they will. That shouldn't work. It also shouldn't work that a play that's mostly about things that happened in the past 
it has any bearing on what's happening now. It, it, like the connections between what happened in the past and what happened now are tenuous at best because Jesse's already made her decision. It's not like she's trying to lay out the logic and have mom provide her new reasons why she should kill herself. The right. logic's been established. So what has happened in the past seems disconnected from that, that journey. One potential solution to that puzzle is that and, and some people say this about the script. I'm not sure I agree with it. But one possible solution is that, you know, quote unquote, the play's not really about how she's going to kill herself. It's about something deeper. And, <laughs> you know, that's like, a, okay, yeah, but sure. it kind of is about that. But what if there's this deeper level of the play, which is about, you know, the, the present. What if we imagine that the present action of the play is not whether or not Jesse's going to kill herself because that's been decided. That's laid out. We, that's going to happen. She's not swayed. But maybe the present action that she does have some go between where the characters do meet and clash and have some push is this idea that two people who've lived with each other for so long have no idea who the other person is. Hmm. Yeah, and, and what they've hidden from each other, right? Right. And and that, that I think I think that is what... Uh, the 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 team the, the you know the production team the director and the actor playing Jesse I think would would benefit from is she she wants there's stuff that she's gonna leave undone Th- despite the fact that she is is knows that she wants to end her life tonight there is stuff that she still wants to figure out to, to the truth that she doesn't know about her mom. She wants to express herself fully to her mom still. And that's her goal throughout the play that, and, and, and that kind of fits with the goal and tactic thing that you said before, she keeps changing tactic to try to express that fully to her mom throughout the play. Right. And if, if the idea is that these, that these two characters really across the play push and pull on this idea that they're basically strangers, then you sort of imagine that, you know, would this play function almost like it does now if instead of walking out and saying, I'm going to kill myself in three hours or two hours or whatever, she walked out and said, like, look, there's a time bomb underneath my bedroom. And I'm, you know, if the suicide element were taken out and she could just say, look, I'm going to die in an hour and a half. So right. we have we have that long to resolve all of this unknown between us, mm-hmm. this sort of we're strangers tension between us. You know, would the place still look the same? And beyond the shock value of she just deciding to kill herself, I think a lot of the play would look the same. Hmm. That's interesting. So let's dig into that for just a second, because I would think, I, just in picturing that j- just now, as most of our thoughts are the best in the moment, yeah. um, <laughs> I think that would be a substantially different play. I think that would be a much more tender play, play. Let's say, you know, the focus would be like, I need to get this off my chest before this thing happens to me. Like, you know, like, let's, uh, let's like imagine, let me of- create a scenario that might actually happen. So let's say that instead of walking out and saying, I'm going to kill herself, I'm going to kill myself. Jesse walks out and says, I killed somebody else. They're coming to get me. They're going to lock me up and give me the chair. So in two hours, I'm going to be hauled off and you'll never see me again. I'm going to die. She still dies. They're never going to see each other again. They have only this time left. Would Mm -hmm. the conversations, now the, the part of the play that is mama trying to convince her not to kill herself, that part wouldn't exist, but maybe that's not the core of the play is perhaps my argument that this Mm. other deeper level of understanding that bulk part that is about what has happened in our lives that led us here. Why do I not know this stuff about you? Why have you never told me this stuff about me? Why, why does it seem like at the end of this play, we don't know each other despite the fact that we've lived together, you know, would that part of the play be functionally the same? Could it be? I think it could be. However, I think that there would be so much, I think there would be a lot more pressure put on the, the Jesse role in that where she would be trying to, aggressively draw um, information out of Thelma. Thelma is uh, volunteering this information partially because she just wants to keep Jesse alive for longer. She wants to prolong the time when Jesse is going to go into her room, shut the door so she can't get to her and kill herself. I don't think that that's what I think the suicide provides to the other part of the conversation is the stakes. We've talked about that because 
if you, if you just imagine that all the suicide does, does is provide stakes to a conversation that's really about, look, I have got to tell you this right now. And mm-hmm. you have got to tell me this other thing right now. There's no more time. And why is there no more time? Why is it urgent? Because I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. But if you could create another scenario of urgency, maybe you could still get the same that that same the same character development, the same really the same plot absent that. Mhm. I I think you could definitely I, I I would be interested to see a scenario that gives the same level of desperation to Thelma. The desperation well, to reveal that I'm not that. sure one exists. Yeah, <laughs> and I, if I were Marsha yeah. Norman, look, a lot of the a lot of the reasons some people just don't like this play is that it it takes a very maybe not positive but at least neutral view of suicide. And so right. I have to imagine if I were Marsha Norman and I was writing this play, maybe I would be trying to think of another way to do it <laughs> and create the same stakes in the same tense scenario and still get at this this meat of the characters that I want to get at. And maybe one doesn't exist. You know, the right. old, what, what would be another decision Thelma could try to get Jesse away from? Well, maybe Jesse's going to go kill Cecil, something like that. But, but even that, they, they could still have a conversation later on. It does seem like to achieve this goal of urgency and stakes, what, why, why does Thelma need to attack right now? It does seem like that might be the only plot device that works there. Mm-hmm. Certain, certainly to reveal there, the big moment that she reveals that her dad probably had epilepsy. I think that that is a, a kind of a shameful moment for her to admit that she thinks that and never did anything about it. Um. I think I think that being drawn out is her last effort just to try to turn the tide of this evening into something else. And I I'd be again, I'd be interested to see another scenario where that that could be sussed out. I'm sure one exists. But since you brought up the epilepsy, I do think that that is an interesting connection, too, that I'd love to discuss. What what metaphorical, symbolical connections exist between Jesse's physical illness and her mental illness? One, you know, maybe more obvious one is that in both cases, Thelma, Mama, has been ignoring the problem, right? She describes this scenario where she's she basically just ignored the fact that Jesse had epilepsy until someone else saw it, until Cecil saw it happen. And then she said, oh, this is brand new. It didn't happen all these times before. So there's yeah. that level of ignoring. And then what we learn later on is that Mama has been ignoring or willfully ignorant of Jesse's ongoing chronic depression for her whole life too. So there's this sort of connection between the two of willful ignorance. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. The 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 kind of parallels of that especially with our own, you know, the the more the more modern sensitivity of what depression is uh, versus versus what, you know, it was described as back then or the labels that were used for it back then. I think I think yeah, but how how do you see that playing with again like I feel like we gotta we gotta we gotta help Thelma out here for a minute because I don't I think a lot of the weight of it winds up landing on her, and um, do you think that that plays with that as well? Do you think that she walks away saying that she's ignored ig- ignored um, the warning signs or well, what, what was going on? She does say that at the end. Once Jesse has gone into the bedroom. And, and when, when mama's outside the door banging on it, one of the things she says is, how could I not have known that you were so alone? Mm, and, and mm-hmm. she says that several times before, this expression of, how could I not have seen this? You're going to leave me now believing that I missed something for all these years. And while that may seem cruel of Jesse, and Jesse's cruelty to mama in this play is maybe something we haven't explored, but is probably there. But regardless of it being maybe cruel of Jesse to leave her that way, She's, I mean, she, that, Mama is right. She did miss yeah. something, right? She's either mm-hmm. honestly not noticed, or I think more likely decided not to notice that Jesse has lived however many years now unhappy and thinking on and off about suicide and, you know, in this state of depression. You know, Mama describes over and over how Jesse's a person which never leave, who never leaves the house, who doesn't want to do anything. And Mama kind of says, well, she's just shy. If I right. wouldn't have invited this boy over, you'd never have gone out to meet somebody. <laughs> and you kind of go, 
yeah, but this has gone on for years. Right. You, should, you, <laughs> you really never question the fact that your daughter never leaves the house? Yeah. Like that that might raise some flags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're coming down to the near the end of our time here, but I wanted to wanted to ask you the I, I think I think we've kind of answered this already, but I want to kind of say it out loud. Why do this play? Why sit in a theater? Why go to this play? But also why put on this play where you talk about this for an hour and 40 minutes and eventually come to the culmination of this play? Why why, why sit through this? I'm, I'm glad you asked that. And I wondered whether or not this was a conversation that we should have. Yeah. Um, I, I do not have a good answer. I do not think that I would do this play. Um, look, if you're out there and you love this script and you're telling me, you know, look, Jacob, you totally missed the point. I, please enlighten me because I do not get the point. For me, as I've experienced this play, and I, granted, I've only read it twice and then watched probably about two thirds of it in various clips on YouTube, which is not the experience of seeing the play. So going to see the play, I might have a totally different kind of experience, but having read through the play twice, I, this play seems utterly hopeless. Uh, just and, and pointless. I mean, mm. I just don't understand why bother with this play. And and look, I know that that's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> I know it, and I and I want, and that's why I'm saying, look, if I've missed something in reading the script, which is highly likely, because look, it won the Pulitzer Prize. It's right. done all the time. It's one of the more notable known scripts in American literature. I look, I, it's the problem is with me, not with the script. But with me, I don't get it. Why do this? You tell me, Jackson. Why do this play? Why bother? Why go? It just seems sad. Wouldn't I just leave the theater sad? I just watched a woman say she's going to kill herself, spend the next hour and a half letting her mother fall apart over that news, and then mm-hmm. go into her bedroom and do it. Yep. I, I, this, this might be an interesting way to end this one, but we're going to go there. I think I ultimately agree with you, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to redeem part of it. Um, because I think there is some redemption to be had within this play in that it, 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 it exposes us as plays do to another viewpoint. And I think this viewpoint is a wildly uncomfortable one, one that brings about some harm to, to the uh, world around, but it's a viewpoint that exists out there and exposure to uh, other viewpoints is a good thing. I think the issues are poignant. The, the, the production is great. The characters are great. The writing's fantastic, but to, to do this play to a room full of people, not this, this, this play talks about some really heavy stuff and it, and it doesn't let up on it. And I, I absolutely agree that you would walk out of it feeling very sad. I think what this play would be great as is in in like discussion groups for for reading a play. Like if you read the play and talk about it and well, be with people. Let me so let me do try to do some redemptive work here now too. After I've after I've said everything that I've said, um, I think that ultimately what I think that maybe my the reason why I I may not choose to do this script. Um, I probably would still see it, but maybe not do it, is that I feel like it presents a very vivid problem. It says, look, this is one of the problems in American life. And we didn't talk about this theme very much, but there's this broader connection to highlighting one of the problems in modern American life of stagnation, of, Hmm. of people feeling like their lives never change or grow. And so it presents that a vivid picture of someone whose whose life is stuck that way. You know, on the back of my script, um, one of the quotes about the play says, this is the American tragedy. And the American tragedy is people feel like their lives never grow or change. They have no impact on what happens next. They don't have a way to improve their lives. And this play paints a vivid picture of that tragedy, that horror, that problem. And then it does – it just doesn't do the work, I don't think, of saying, okay, now, so what? It, yeah. it feels like um, – it feels like a problem without a solution. And not that a play needs to present a solution, but this one doesn't even try. And mm-hmm. what I think that you could maybe do is either as a production team sort of create a, create some hope in it and maybe there's some hope in people having dialogue and getting to know each other like they didn't know before. You imagine, you know, what if what if Mama and Jesse had had this discussion five years ago? 
where they had gotten to know each other better? Could both of their lives have been improved? So maybe one potential solution the play offers is just talking to each other, doing the hard work of saying, this is what I've been hiding. This is what you need to know. This is asking questions. You know, maybe it presents that, but even that play ends in suicide. So yeah. <laughs> yep. it's hard to say that they present it as a solution. But I actually mm-hmm. agree that, you know, maybe doing some work with this play of saying, what are some solutions to mental illness now? Could you do this play in converse, in, you know, in, uh, in a in a situation where there was also a conversation with mental health experts and with sociologists and with you know experts in the economy and you have discussions about so this is the american tragedy that we've been presented with how do we solve it this play presents there it almost it's not even just that it doesn't present a solution it almost paints a world in which there's no solution Right. And that's what's especially hopeful, hopeless because I, I think I said it wrong and, and I tried to correct myself there. Not every play needs to provide a solution to a problem. I'm on mm. board with that. And I believe that one of the purposes of art is to reflect the problems of society. But what, what my hang up with the script is that it, it feels like it, the ultimate answer is that there's no solution. Right. And look, I'm sure that I'm wrong about that, and I want you to tell me, (laughs) audience, how I'm wrong, because I want to know. I'd like to experience this play in a different way. But for me, it feels like the message is hopelessness. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of nihilistic. Um yeah, well, well, as Jacob said, we, we, we're coming down to the end of our time here, and we want to continue this conversation. If, if, if you have more to add to this, if, you have, if you've read this play and other themes stuck out to you that we haven't touched on, if there is, if there is more that we're missing out on, please, we want to know. Um, so please reach out, and, and if you want to have a conversation with us, either if you're near us, just like, you know, text us and have coffee, or, uh, for those of you who don't know us personally, uh, <laughs> go on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and we'd love to continue having the conversation at Podcast or email noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. If you liked this episode or if you hated our ultimate conclusion, share the episode and feel free when you're sharing it to write a great description of all the things that we got wrong. I promise that we will read it if we are able. We will. And we, Absolutely. And, you know, depending on the kind of responses we get, there may be an opportunity where we need to come back and say, okay, look, this is what we missed about this, this experience in the script. And that is great. Um, please do that. Uh, regardless, yeah. if you'd share this episode, share some of our other episodes, that really helps us out. You can find the podcast on Podbean, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, and on Spotify. You can always access the podcast by a link on Facebook. So if you do that, that would be great. If you could leave us a review, that's always helpful on Facebook or Apple Podcasts. Either place is great. Yes, indeed. And uh, things are in the work. The man behind the curtain is still turning dials and worrying furiously for our next announcement next week. So keep an eye out on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for that. We have more things coming down the road that we were excited about doing. So hang in there for, for an announcement about that next week. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen, and with what is potentially our first negative review of a play in no script history, this is a big moment, and we didn't even big plan moment. it. Big yep. moment, but this is it. Hey, folks, this is No Script, the podcast. See ya. See ya.